Check it out, Joel. New tunes for Sports by Northwest. What do you think of our new intro music? Love it. It's new. It's exciting. Bringing a new vibe to the podcast. It's good to be back. Been a couple of weeks. I'm Bill Orem, joined by Oregonian sports editor Joel Odom here on Sports by Northwest from the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Here to talk sports in the Northwest, hence the name Sports by Northwest. More on the theme music in a little bit, but uh, Joel, something unprecedented is happening in the state of Oregon. I look around and I see the Beavers in the top 25. I see the Ducks in the top 10 with a, uh, I would say, legitimate path to the CFP with a Dark Horse Heisman Trophy candidate. And I look at the Blazers suddenly 5-1, and one, playing Memphis tonight, uh, looking well beyond, I think, where anybody thought this team would be after last year. Damian Lillard's looked good except for his injury. And Joel, when I look around, I see absolutely nothing for a sports fan in this state to complain about. Am I wrong? You, you see only blue skies? I mean, I'm looking at my I'm looking out my window at rain, but uh, metaphorically, yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty pretty solid several weeks, I would say. The Thorns win the NWSL championship. Yeah, we've got a champion soccer team. Uh, both of the college football teams have, are are rolling, rolling right into Friday night. Though, what what do you think on that Oregon State at Washington? How's that going to play out, Bill? That is why we're talking about how good things are now, <laughs> because that is the first that is the first chance for things to change. Um, you know, it's just funny. Like, I just think the experience of being a sports fan is so much about being miserable and unhappy. And then, like, when things actually finally change and there's that breakthrough moment, like, it does feel like so cathartic. Um, so for Oregon State, right, we've been talking about a team that hasn't, you know, had hasn't been in the top 25 since 2013. Has you know last year broke their you know their their streak of uh, bowlless seasons uh, going back to a bowl game this year they could be on course I, I will say it for a ten win season you know they, their schedule is I mean a bigger face I mean their their schedule to me shapes up for them to be potentially nine and two going into the Oregon Oregon State game two days after Thanksgiving so. Washington, though, is the big one. And and just to for those who don't have these schedules burned into their mind, uh, Oregon State plays at Washington on Friday uh, in what's going to be a major weather event. I believe it's called an atmospheric river. So um, that's going to be something to watch. But the Beavers at Washington, the Huskies, we know, have a great offense, um, you know, really skilled quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. Um, that could cause some, some problems for the, for the Beavers secondary. But then they host Cal. And then they go to Arizona State. If they get through Washington, I would really watch that Arizona State game as a, as a trap game before the uh, the big rivalry game. But um, <clears throat> a conversation I was having with Nick Dashel, Joel, uh, another one of your uh, reporters, uh, our Oregon State beat writer, yesterday, offline, but w- but would have made a good podcast as well, was how that weather is going to affect this game. And Joel, if I told you that one team is has a great passing offense and the other team has a great ground offense. Which one would you expect could be most successful in an atmospheric river? Well, I'll take the the ground game, um, but really, it, it's like if they're if they might as well be playing this game in the lake, then I, I suppose we need we need the team that's the has the better swimmers on it. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to take the ground game. You know, the the passing game is it's going to be tough to pass in those conditions. Okay, this is an important mascot challenge: better swimmers, huskies, or beavers. No contest. 
That's what I'm saying. Although, I mean, listen, I mean, a husky is a is a strong swimming dog, but beavers are are have evolved to be what they are water animals. They are water animals. Yes. So I, I would also take the beavers if we are going with the mascot challenge on this as well, which we should always consider when evaluating a matchup, I think is really important. Damn right. That was the, did you see this week, the beavers tweeted, uh, damn good to be back or something like that <laughs> in the, in in their tweet when they, when they were back in the top 25 for the first time, it reminded me, you know, for people of a certain age and, um, hopefully more people, but the Vegas vacation, the national lampoons, Vegas vacation with, with Chevy chase, when they all go to the Hoover dam and the, and, and the, then the guide is like, I'm your damn tour guide. Uh, welcome to the damn, damn tour. Keep your hands inside the damn, you know, car you know whatever uh that was what i was thinking of so i found that that gif gif and uh included that um so beavers i think you know obviously trending still upward uh looks like ben Branson is going to is going to remain the quarterback but uh nick nick dashwell actually has had some interesting um stories on kind of the question of whether or not chance nolan can lose his his starting job uh, while out with an injury. And, you know, we've all been around it long enough to to know that coaches love to say you can't lose your job for an injury. But if if Golbranson, you know, keeps this going and goes and beats the Huskies on the road, where the Beavers are a four-and-a-half-point underdog, by the way, um, and then you've got two healthy quarterbacks going into Cal, I don't know how you, you know, come off of Golbranson. You know, not that he's been, you know, a world beater necessarily, but he's getting the job done. Yeah, and if he's going to be, you know, 4-0, and Basically, at that point, that's that's a tough one too. Agreed. Yeah, um, I I alluded to the ducks being. Um, by the way, I mean, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that before we get to the ducks because you mentioned that they might as well be playing this game in a lake, and I think it's important to acknowledge another football game that was played under adverse weather conditions this week in Portland, Oregon, which was your son's flag football game on Sunday. Also, my son's flag football game. They did not intersect, but we intersected. We saw each other at the at the field because our kids play in the same uh, in the same organization. And when I saw you, you were beaming. You were so excited because you had you had just crowned a league champion. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not it's not every day that, you know, you're getting to watch your kid play in a championship game. And then it's also, you know, beyond that, the stakes were raised because it was a tight you know 14 14 ball game late a couple minutes to go um my son's team had the ball fourth down had to get across midfield for that for that first down as as you know in flag football it's you know the one first down and then the goal line and um yeah he came up with the 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 clutch catch on fourth down to give him a first down they scored a touchdown on the next play and the clock ran out and they won won the championship it was awesome did your son's team have a team name? They are the flight squad. So their coach, who's awesome, did this whole flight theme. He he wore a flight suit to all the practices and games, and gave out pilot hats to all the to all the players. It was it was really cool. Congratulations! That's that's pretty cool. My son Teddy plays in a younger division. Uh, we're still learning kind of some of the basics. Uh, he was very excited to receive a medal for participating, and in fact, his team. Uh, really didn't have a name throughout most of the season. I think they were the electric chicken wings, maybe at the very first practice. That was kind of what they came up with, but that seemed to not stick. And so on the way to the field on Sunday, Teddy said, uh, why isn't our team called the demons? 
was like, I don't know. That's a pretty good name. And then I watched the game unfold, you know, Teddy, you know, mostly played some, played some O-line, which isn't even a position in uh, flag football. But he did, uh, at the, after the game, I heard the coach say, okay, and just took us to the end of the season. We finally got a team name. We're the Demons. Thanks, Teddy. So I do feel like we at least contributed to the squad this year, which was really, um, which was key and necessary. Um, so now the Ducks. Now the Ducks. I was at Cal for their 42-24 win over the Golden Bears. Um, and it was <clears throat> it was probably what the Ducks needed, but they didn't get the most out of it that they could have, which was, you know, if they would have really just totally steamrolled Cal, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> if they would have really just steamrolled Cal, I think that would have, you know, helped them kind of in the in the sort of arbitrary style points department. That said, I don't know how much, um, you know, voters are looking beyond, you know, getting the job done in a matchup like that. It's not a closely watched matchup. I don't know how, how much you're parsing the specifics of Cal, Oregon. Um, Oregon took care of business is what you need to know. And you need to know that Bo Nix rushed for three touchdowns, threw for three more. Um, he's, he's accounted for 31 touchdowns uh, through the first um what are they at seven games or eight games? So he's been, uh, he's been pretty spectacular. Um, and, and that does lead to the question of the Heisman race. And I, I mentioned this first after the UCLA game that he needs to be in the conversation. And I don't know. And being in the conversation is sort of one of those sports cliches that we could probably all would all be better without, but it does become, important in as we consider you know is this part of the story of of the duck season do they have a heisman contending quarterback and if you look you know kind of around the country you know you've seen some other guys fall off and nicks has been steady he has you know consistently been you know kind of been this great dual threat uh quarterback for the ducks i mean he's He's had tremendous success running the ball, um, especially in short yardage situations. Tebow esque, uh, you know, in the in in terms of getting into the end zone. Um, I, Joel, I mean, where are you as you kind of study this? As you've kind of followed followed this, how real do you think the the Bo Nix Heisman um, buzz should be? I I agree, he should be in the conversation. I, you know, I, I get that there are, you know, probably several guys ahead of him at this point and that's that's fair that's fine but i think the dual threat uh nature is really that that has been surprising to me just how you know one game he'll explode for an 80 yard touchdown run and then another game he'll drop in just a beautiful rainbow to troy Mm -hmm. franklin for 50 yards it's usually troy franklin yeah it's been um it's it's been impressive so, I mean, some of the guys who are ahead of him, I'm just looking at one of the many rankings you can find online, but I mean, kind of the obvious guy is, is Hendon Hooker at, at Tennessee, you know, not only, you know, has he had a great individual season, but kind of elevating Tennessee from the depths of nothingness, frankly, um, you know, to, you know, to, to the number one ranking in the first CFP um, ranking, which came out yesterday is really, really impressive. So I, I do think there's going to be, there will be guys who fall off. I mean, you know, I mean, Tennessee plays, uh, what Alabama this weekend, right? Georgia. They play Georgia this weekend. One versus three. Yeah. 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 So that is, you know, that's going to, you know, really, that's going to shake, that's going to shake up the the rankings one way or another. Um, and then you're going to have some more matchups and this gets now into the conversation about the CFP, but 
and kind of the duck's path. But, you know, Georgia plays Alabama still. Uh, Georgia plays Tennessee still. Um, TCU has a couple of tough, tough road games. But, you know, when you look at the top four, um, especially with Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, and uh, Clemson, and then Michigan's five. Ohio State plays Michigan. Tennessee plays Georgia. Tennessee plays Alabama, which is sixth. Georgia plays Alabama. If those teams' only losses are all to each other, it's going to be really hard for the Ducks to 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 jump over anybody. You know, another another Alabama loss. You know, obviously Oregon would would move ahead of Alabama. TCU. I think you could get ahead of TCU, but to get into the top four, when the toughest games that Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan, and Ohio State all have are against each other, and Clemson doesn't have, you know one of those really on their schedule left. It feels like, you know, the ducks are going to have a hard time getting in there, not because of anything, you know, not, I don't even look at it as because of the Georgia loss, but just as overall strength of schedule, it's just going to be really hard for them to, to leapfrog any of those teams. And, and uh, I guess it is the Georgia loss that's holding them back. Right. Cause they had to work their way back up from being essentially outside of the top 25 after losing to Georgia. Um, but the other thing to remember is that the Ducks' schedule is severely backloaded. And if they survive this part of the schedule, which is significantly tougher than what they've, you know, what they've faced from games two through um, seven, eight, then it, you know, then, then they, they've certainly got a case. And I think kind of the thing that people have wondered since the Georgia loss was, would the Ducks even have a case for the CFP after the Georgia loss? And I think the answer is yes. I think if they, if, but again, that assumes that you go, not only you beat Colorado this weekend, which should be an absolute bloodbath, you have to beat Washington at home, Utah at home, go to Oregon State, which has proven to be a uniquely difficult environment this season, and then win a Pac-12 title game probably against USC. So in order to do that, you're going to have to beat three teams that are currently ranked in the top 25. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly going to build like a it's going to significantly strengthen their resume if they win them all. I just don't still see it being enough to then leapfrog anybody who's ahead of them. Yeah, that they're going to need help. There's no doubt about it. And it's, it's a tough, definitely a tough schedule rivalry game, top, you know, 15 opponent, another rivalry game, and then potentially a top 10 opponent, you know, that it's a, that's a very rough closing schedule. Um, and it just could be, it could be, it could be a moot point. You know what I mean? Like there is something about kind of the like agonizing over the CFP rankings at this point, particularly for a team like Oregon that's on the outside of it when they have their toughest games still to come. It it feels like let's have this conversation in December, you know, when we, we know whether there's a, a, a Pac-12 championship game even being played that features Oregon. At this point, it seems likely, but that could change. Um it seems like there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then and a lot more that needs to happen for Oregon, let's say, than for TCU or for for Clemson or, or Tennessee. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. I mentioned the Blazers earlier. I'd be remiss not to include them in our um, review of all all that is good in the state of Oregon sports. Um, the wave that we're riding. <laughs> The wave that we're riding that is not just um, that is not just the torrent of, of it's, it's not the atmospheric river. It, it is not. It's a little different than that. But I wrote before the season that I thought the Blazers were on the right path, essentially. But that it really wasn't about this season um, because you've got young guys you need to bring along. There's probably some moves that need to be made to get the right pieces around Dame. 
but that I thought they were on the right path. I think that this start, this five and one start has been impressive enough that I, I've come around on the fact that like, this could be a, a, could be a more relevant season. This season could end up mattering and that they're even closer than we thought, because I think Shaden Sharp is, you know, a year, maybe a year away from being a, a contributor to this roster or a year or two away from being, you know, a frontline starter next to Damian Lillard, as opposed to being five or six years away. If he's five or six years away or four or five years away, then you have to be thinking trade. If he's one or two years away, then you're thinking build. And that's a very different place to be in. Yeah, I think there's hugely positive signs so far. Obviously, the five and one start, the play of Shaden Sharp. To me, the the play of Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart uh, has been huge. And I think that the upcoming six game road trip is going to be pretty telling. I, I think, you know, we're going to know quite a bit more about about this team. What will that be? 13 games in than we necessarily do uh, six games in. So looking forward to that. Also looking forward to, you know, Gary Payton, the seconds return, hopefully within a few weeks. So, yeah, one of the things with the Blazers, they've been so good defensively um, and so far ahead of schedule defensively. And I've was talking with somebody you know, around the team yesterday and they, and the, and kind of the thought was, you know, can we maintain what we've seen defensively? And, you know, I think there's a sense that it's maybe been a little inflated with the early results, but then you start thinking, Hey, they're two weeks away potentially from getting Gary Payton back. You know, how much does that change things? You know, he's not Bruce Bowen, you know, he's not like, you know, whatever, you know, legendary defender of, of, of your that you want to invoke. He's not Gary Payton the first, but he really, what he proved with the Warriors and he's proven and he's proven, you know, throughout his career is that he's a guy who can guard four positions, even at his size is really intense. And I think that, you know, really fits in with what we've seen from guys like Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, um, you know, and, and kind of, and justice Winslow and, and these guys who are kind of setting the tone defensively for the Blazers. Um, I actually have a theory, by the way, Joel, that you might want to hear or not, uh, but either way, I'm going to share it about why about why I think Damian Lillard makes the Blazers a better defensive team. I, I would like to hear that theory because he's not a great individual or team defender, right? He's not a guy you look to as as somebody who makes you better defensively when he's on the floor. The stats certainly don't back that up, but what he is good at is is setting a tone in, of intensity and focus that I believe carries over on the defensive end with the other guys who you do kind of lean on for your defensive uh, strength. So by not having Dame and not having Dame in that Miami game, especially because I don't think they, they look particularly good against Houston either. Um, but then you go to that Miami game that they lost. Um, I look at it as, you know, if you have Dame, you're much more focused He's he's your intensity leader, even if it's not carrying over on the defensive end because he's doing so much offensively. That is why I think he makes them a better defensive team. I think that's I think there's actually something to that. I think you you know you you need to have some level of defensive talent, but then once it's there, that intensity, I don't think that can be understated. How important that is, you know, particularly like fourth quarter, tough, intense situation. Joel, you have kids who are. I'm going to guess, are they Blazer fans? They are. Please tell me how a 10-year-old uh, Blazer fan is feeling about Shaden Sharp right now. 
the 13 year old is really the bigger fan. Okay, let's go with the 13 year old. I want to know what like the childlike wonder of seeing Shaden Sharp debut for the Blazers has been like. I think it's like a cloud nine sort of thing. You know, it's I think it's like the the equivalent to you know what it was like in the early days of of seeing Brandon Roy or seeing Damian Lillard. It's that same kind of raw joy and you know these huge hopes for what what might be to come it's it's been really fun i think for for him on that note i do want to bring in the world's biggest shade and sharp fan it's not your son (laughs) that would have been that would have been good planning uh it is it is producer andrew thien andrew welcome to uh the limelight of sports by northwest we're so used to having you behind the scenes but this is your moment to shine much like shade and sharp Let's ask what the 39-year-old thinks of Shaden Sharp, right? <laughs> I wasn't going I wasn't going to I wasn't going to put you out there like that. But now that you have, what does the 39-year-old think of uh Shaden Sharp? Unbridled joy and optimism, you know. I'm worried about his safety, you know, as a parent, we're all parents here. I'm worried he's going to bonk his his head on the rim. <laughs> um he jumps too high. You know, he's got to be a little careful. He might hurt himself on the sky, but um no, it, it's been um it's different than Dame and Brandon. When Dame came in, he came in. He was on a good team. Uh, LaMarcus was there. And right from the jump, it was like, oh, wow, this guy is going to be amazing. He dropped, what, 20, 20 and 10 against the Lakers you know, in his first game. And it's like, that was evident. Ended Steve Nash's career. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Brandon, you know, that, that was different because the team was in a rebuilding phase. Um, this, you know, we're playing with house money here. I mean, this kid wasn't expected. I think from the fan base to come in and do what he's done already. So, you know, we're only six games into the season and he's already, you know, just learned so much. I feel like he's little baby Neo out there. Like he, you know, has a little computer chip put in his brain. It's like, I know Kung Fu, but it's uh, with off ball defense or things of that nature. So, I mean, just the ability to watch him learn in real time is very exciting. So Andrew, I shared my thoughts on this, but how has seeing him changed your expectations of the Blazers next 18 months so that from where they might have been, you know, coming into training camp? Uh it's certainly accelerated a, a lot. I mean, I was I was, you know, I'm a fan, so I'm delusional, and so I was pretty optimistic of, and then the <laughs> the preseason kind of took all the wind out of the sails and then it went right back to rampant optimism after this start. But, you know, I think there's so many teams that are trying to figure it out. And, you know, how many times in the NBA, you know, this having covered it, do you get swept up by the, oh, if, if X, Y, or Z happens, this team is going to be a dynasty. Like you can't think like that because that never happens. Like, you know, you've got to just seize it while it's there. And why not? You know, I'm not expecting him to be tied for first place, but um, you know, we'll see with this road trip, but why can't they make a deep run and whether that's second round or beyond, or even just to the first round, I don't know. Why not? I mean, I think a playoff series win this year would be a, would put the Blazers hugely ahead of schedule. For sure. Damian Lillard is the oldest player on this roster. And he's still seven years younger than you. My back just seized up right when you said that. But I do think it is um I think there I think you're 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 tapping into something that is kind of the theme for today's podcast, right? 
the irrational joy of fandom and the and the the sort of existential dread that is the underpinning of being a sports fan. And you look around sports like at large, like everything's kind of awful. You know, you've got the, you've got the Brooklyn Nets dealing with their total mess, um, you know, including hiring, you know, or potentially being on the precipice of hiring Ime Udoka, which has certainly sparked a uh, significant backlash and is a a choice at least by the Nets. I don't I don't think it's a good choice. Um and then and then, you know, across the NFL, you've got, you know, the you've got you know teams that are unhappy with their quarterbacks you've got injuries you've got all sorts of things and and listen not everything's perfect here either right i mean you know the, we're still you know waiting to see where the ownership of Merritt Paulson with the Timbers and Thorns leads and you know the Blazers have you know some some issues of their own but from the day-to-day experience of being a fan in Oregon i feel like there's just not bad news out there right now and i'm not a person who believes that you know we should you know, only tell good news and that the bad news should be swept under the rug. But it just feels like a nice time to like sports and live here. So I'm going to ask you, Andrew, producer Andrew Thien, 39-year-old man, man of the people, man of the 39-year-old people. Are you happy? <laughs> I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm relatively happy. I'm looking forward to the game tonight. We're talking Wednesday morning. I mean, we've got um, John Morant and Maybe John Moran playing. I don't know. He's going to play tonight. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's especially it was agonizing to have this long break between (laughs) between Shaden's debut as a starter to today's game. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very excited. I'm sure there are you know I've I've long left my other fandoms aside, but I'm sure there are delusional duck fans out there who are thinking, you know, if they just run the table and Georgia loses and X, Y, or Z. So yeah, there's a lot of people who are very excited around this beautiful state of ours thinking of what might be. I mean, what else we got? We got Linfield is uh <laughs> winning record, Joel, or they're on their way to another winning record. Uh, 66. How, how many? 66? Wow. That's amazing. Um, you know, you look around, I think there's just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good vibes and you might as well take a moment to acknowledge the good vibes. Speaking of good vibes, Andrew, I did see you jamming out a couple minutes ago with your headset on. Were you listening perhaps to the sports by Northwest <laughs> house music? Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to pretend that I was, I was just jamming out and it, it's uh tell us about this new tune. Yeah. Portland band Haystack Rock was kind enough to help us out and record our very own theme music for Sports by Northwest. So we finally have our own tunes and our own signature sound. Shout out to Scott Hoffman on drums, Brady Henderson on guitar, Dr. Jenna Emerson on bass, and Rick Peel on guitar. Music was produced by Rick Claris in Southeast Portland. Find him at learnguitarpdx.com or email him at rick at learnguitarpdx.com. If you need some help fine-tuning your guitar skills or you're a beginner looking to start out this has been sports by northwest thank you for listening thank you for supporting the journalism of the oregonian and oregon live thanks to joel odom and andrew thien for joining me on the show today we'll be back next week with another episode of sports by northwest until then enjoy the music and enjoy the atmospheric river of good vibes